How would you like to do church like Jesus did? Over the past few years, we've learned that church can happen in a very meaningful way outside of a church building. In fact, we're getting raving reviews from our house churches, which are now over a hundred. Though I thank God for churches in buildings and on campuses, God is leading more and more people these days to gather for church in their homes. Not only is it easier for many people to attend a house church, but a house church can offer a level of community that campuses can't. Well, I'm excited to announce that every Thursday in December and January, I plan to host a house church interest meeting on Zoom at 5 o'clock p.m. Pacific time. If you're not attending a church right now and are interested, or if you know of anyone who's interested, then all they have to do is email us at hcinfo at solidlives.com or click the link in the description of this video. Okay, now let me welcome you to the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman, where we read and talk through a chapter of the New Testament every day. I'm glad you're here because reading God's Word daily will change your life. I'd appreciate it if you'd help others find this resource by sharing the link, and if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel. Okay, now let's pray, and we'll jump into God's Word. Father, thank you for the Word of God. Thank you that it's inspired. I pray that each person watching or listening today will hear what you have to say to them through your Word, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Luke chapter 12. Here's what it says. In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people, wow, Jesus had so many people that they couldn't count them. Well, in other places, they said, for example, there were 5,000 men. You remember in the feeding of the 5,000. But this says an innumerable multitude of people. So it must have been a whole lot more than 5,000 or likely that would have been 15,000 or more with women and children. So an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another. He began to say to his disciples, first of all, so the people are trampling each other, not that they're trying to do it, but there are just so many people trying to navigate. But Jesus said, uh, began to say to his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. He's talking about like you put yeast, leaven, inside of uh, bread dough, and it causes it to rise. And he's saying, if the Pharisees put their belief in you and their ways of thinking, ways of doing things, if it gets into your heart, then it'll corrupt you. So beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. So they may have hidden agendas, ulterior motives, uh, wrong uh, purposes in their hearts and such. But it'll, it'll come out eventually. It'll be exposed eventually. Verse 3, Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and whatever you have spoken in the ear in inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. In other words, if you shouldn't say it, don't say it, even if you think nobody's around. Don't say it. Well, that's a good lesson for all of us, isn't it? Don't say ever what shouldn't be said, because it'll eventually be exposed. Verse 4, And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and afterward, uh, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him 
who, after he is killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. We're talking about Almighty God. Verse 6, Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Uh, thank God for the animals. God created the animals. They're beautiful. They're fun. They all have their place in the earth, and they do have value. But I want you to notice in the Bible that the Bible says, there, there aren't any animals that are at the same value level as a human being. Human beings were created in the image and likeness of God. So he's saying to each person, he's saying, you're of more value than many sparrows. Verse 8, also I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him, the son of man, will uh, also will confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. Now, this is what is referred to often as the unpardonable sin. Well, I, I know some folks who said some things in their arrogance and their rebellion against the Holy Spirit, and yet they were they became born again, and they were even spirit-filled, and God is using them and blessing them, and they're evidently believers and such. So I, I don't believe that this is saying if you just one time erred and you just said something against the Holy Spirit that forever you will not be able to be saved. And that's what some people fear, that they may have blasphemed the Holy Spirit, committed the unpardonable sin, and now they can never be saved. And I'll often tell people, listen, because you're coming to me right now and asking me, wanting to be saved, you are not in this category. People that are in this category, these are people that deny the Holy Spirit, deny they blaspheme Him, and they just persist to the point that eventually the Holy Spirit will stop convicting them of sin. And then you cannot be saved. You have to have the conviction of sin, which Jesus, Jesus teaches us about, by the way, in the 16th chapter of John, uh, that when the Holy Spirit comes, He'll convict the world of sin. If you stop being convicted, you won't have any heart or desire to be saved. It'll just not, not be in you anymore. But if you have the conviction and you want to be saved, thank God, even if you had said something, uh, blaspheming the Holy Spirit, then thank God if He's still convicting you of your sin and you're confessing Jesus as Lord, He forgives us. But folks, you can't persist in that. You can't persist in that because it's only by the Holy Spirit that you're able to be baptized into Jesus. Okay, verse 11. Now when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Isn't that powerful? You get persecuted, you get put on the spot, they're going to confront you and such. He said, don't try to come up with some rehearsed speech. He said, the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, 
Who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Oh, this is a word for Americans. Americans tend to measure success based on wealth and based on possessions. And Jesus said, One's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. So he says, Take heed and beware of covetousness. Oh, that's rampant in our society today. Verse 16. Then he spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? In other words, I've harvested and harvested. My barns are all full now, but I still have harvest in the field. And he's saying, what shall I do? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater and there I will store my crops and my goods. Now, that's not necessarily bad, but listen to what else. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Here you have this uh, huge abundance of wealth, of possessions, and you're not yielding them to God. You're not allowing God to feed anybody to promote the gospel or anything. You're just all about your retirement. You're just all about yourself having a life of ease. And God and, and Jesus said, fool, this night your soul will be required. Money, I don't care how much wealth you possess. It cannot buy your soul, buy your salvation. Do you remember Jesus said, what profit is it if a man gains the whole world but loses his own soul? Okay, verse 22. Then he said to his disciples, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, excuse me, what you will put on. Life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouses nor barns, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than birds? Notice again the value. Of how much more value are you than birds? Than the birds. And which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? We might say one foot to his height. Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? If you then are not able to do this, uh, to do the least, let me say it again. If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, talking about making clothes. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? See, Jesus is trying to get across to everybody. Your God loves you. He wants to provide for you. He wants to give you the things that you need. Verse 29, and do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an ancient, an anxious mind for all these things, the nations of the world seek after, and your father knows that you need these things, but seek the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added to you. Notice, notice added to you, not added by you. 
God wants to be our provider. It doesn't mean we don't work. It doesn't mean we don't do what he tells us to do, because we do. We should be about the Father's business and be proactive. But we should be seeking the kingdom of God to do what he's called us to do and trusting him that he is going to bring provision to us. Verse 32, do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Notice God doesn't provide for us uh, grudgingly or being disgruntled about it. No, it's his pleasure to give us the kingdom. Verse 33, sell what you have and give alms, provide yourselves money bags, which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches, nor uh, nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So notice he's saying, you could try to put money in the bank or store it somewhere, but uh, it's subject to theft, to moths, to you know inflation or whatever. He's saying, no, but put your treasure in a place that nobody can steal it in heaven. He said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I believe with all of my heart that one of the key principles is to be a tither, to take the first 10% of all of your income, all of your increase, and give it to the kingdom of God, sow it into the kingdom of God, bring it to your church or your ministry, and give it to God and not try to control it or to complain about it. Why? Because it's not yours anymore. You've, you've yielded that to God. But what it does, because the first 10% is it says, my trust is in the Lord. My trust is not in my money. My trust is in my God. Verse 35, let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. He's talking about being ready. Your waist girded, your lamps burning. And you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit to eat and will come and serve them. Very interesting. He's saying, you need to be watching for me when I come. You need to be serving me with your uh, waist girded, with your lamps burning. In other words, you need to be on your game. Not, not, perfect, like you can't ever make mistakes, but about the father's business. He said, and for those that do that, when he comes, he will have them sit down and serve them. This is very interesting because we know we serve the Lord Jesus. But notice Jesus is saying, for those people that serve me like that, when I come, I'm going to have them sit and I'm going to serve them. Talk about the humility and the compassion and love of Jesus reminds me of the washing of the disciples' feet. And verse 38, And if he should come in the second watch, or come in the third watch, talking about in the middle of the night, so to speak, and find them uh, so blessed, and find them so, in other words, and find them doing the will of God and being about the Father's business, he said, Blessed are those servants. Blessed. Now, he's not saying in the middle of the night, you can never sleep. You have to be up all night serving. No, he's talking uh, metaphorically about the fact that, you know, at a time when you don't expect, it's like, oh, man, you know, it's been so long and we've worked a lot. But, you know, we're slacking off now. And that can happen to a lot of people. You were once fervent about the Father's business and doing what God had called you to do, but now you're distracted and you're sort of sleeping. And he said, no, whenever 
the Lord comes back. You need to be on your game. Verse 39, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Then Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? And he and the Lord said, who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season. Blessed is that servant. The answer, of course, that he's giving is this is for everybody. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink, and be drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him, and at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. Oh, let me tell you, you can lose your eternal life by not continuing to serve the Lord and becoming, uh, beginning to live the life and continuing to live the life of an unbeliever. Verse 47, and that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given from him, much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. So that means that when Jesus comes back, we're not all going to be judged by the same standards. Those of us that have been committed more, oh man, God has taught me so many things from the word of God. Well, there's a higher standard and expectation of my life and lifestyle because of what I've been taught. And I say, Lord, help me by the Holy Spirit to live the way that you've called me to live and to pursue the assignment on my life, the way that you've shown it to me. And so uh, I pray that for you as well in Jesus' name. Verse 49, I came to send fire on the earth, Jesus said, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to be baptized with and how distressed I am till it is accomplished. And of course, he's talking about the cross. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. For from now on, Five in one house will be divided, three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against his son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Is he just talking about arguing and strife and such? No, he's, he's saying when the gospel comes into a home and some person receives the gospel and is saved, now you've got some people in the home living in the light in the kingdom of God and other people living in the kingdom of darkness. And those two kingdoms are uh, diabolically opposed to one another. Verse 54, then he also said to the multitudes, whenever you see a cloud rising out of the West, immediately you say a shower is coming. And so it is. And when you see the South wind blow, you say there will be hot weather. And there is. Hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it that you do not, how is it you do not discern this time? Yes, and why, even yourselves, do you not judge what is right? 
when you go with your adversary to the magistrate, make every effort along the way to settle with him, lest he drag you to the judge and the judge deliver you to the officer and the officer throw you in prison. I tell you, you shall not depart from there till you have paid the very last mite. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, look, don't have this pattern where you want to take everybody to court and such. And if somebody's coming against you, try to work it out on the way to, to the courtroom. In other words, you don't want to, you don't want to do this, especially the Bible teaches us with brothers and sisters in the Lord. We want to try not to do that. Now, are there some cases where there is no option but to do that? Yes. But there are also some other cases where, as Paul brings out, it's better just to take the hit and say, you know, I'm just going to suffer the loss rather than to go to court against uh, somebody else in the body of Christ. And the Lord will bless you for that. And so Jesus is saying, look, live in peace with people. Get things worked out as fast as possible uh, to where you don't even have to go to a judgment to, because you worked out some kind of a win-win situation. All right. Well, that's chapter 12. I look forward to tomorrow, chapter 13. Thank you for joining us for the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman. And thank you to those of you who have partnered with Solid Lives to help get this daily podcast and other resources like it to thousands of people around the world. If you would like to partner with Solid Lives, visit solidlives.com give. To find out more about the ministry of Solid Lives, how you can be a part of this church planting and disciple making movement, or for more great teachings and resources by Jerry, visit solidlives.com. We also want to invite you to check out Jerry's other podcast called The Jerry Dearman Podcast. Here, Jerry shares with us at least weekly from God's Word, challenging us and equipping us to fulfill the amazing plan that God has for our lives. You can find links to this podcast as well as Jerry's YouTube channel online at solidlives.com. Thank you again so much for joining us, and we'll see you right here tomorrow as we jump into the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman.